0: morning grace have a seat and open your bibles to galatians chapter 3 and let's pray and then we'll begin father thank you for your great love every one of us here um We're lawbreakers, we're sinners, we've done bad things, and yet you continue to love us. And how amazing it is that you do that. Because we don't do that to people. When they hurt us, and bother us, we don't want to love them. But you do, your love is amazing, God. And we thank you for it, and it's because of your son, it's because of Jesus, it's because of the gospel, it's because of your plan of redemption to save sinners and gather them around your throne, where they would exult and glory in you and enjoy you forever. So thank you for that. We ask that by the power of the Spirit now you would open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word. Help us to turn our eyes to your son once again. In Jesus' name, amen. One influence in my life has been the ministry of author and pastor Paul Tripp. Maybe some of you have uh, read his books and been influenced by him. Both he and his brother Ted have helped me to understand the gospel better. Maybe you've read Ted's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. If you have parents, I recommend it. Maybe you've read some of their books. Of the two brothers, Paul Tripp has had more of an influence on me simply because I've been exposed to more of his books, his teachings, his sermons, etc. And maybe some of you have been helped by Paul Tripp. And for those of you that have been helped by Paul Tripp and you've seen him in person or a picture of him or you've seen him on a DVD or a video, the moment I said his name, you thought of something. For those of you that have ever seen Paul Tripp, something came to your mind when I said his name. Some of you know what I'm talking about already, don't you? But for those that you don't, here's what usually comes to people's to com- comes to people's minds when they think of Paul Tripp after they see a picture of him or see him in person. It's that mustache. There's just something about seeing Paul trip and then forever equating him with his mustache. And there's something about seeing him preach in person that can cause you to fixate and focus on that mustache the whole time he preaches. fact someone once told me that they couldn't even hear a word that he said because they were so enamored and fascinated and spellbound by his mustache his mustache is a part of who he is well paul tripp recently spoke at a women's conference okay all women and paul tripp and his mustache and he got it to speak and he said, I guess I'm the only one here with a mustache. A little bit later, Elise Fitzpatrick got up to speak and she said something along the lines of, Paul, I need to correct you. You're not the only one here with a mustache. Standing under all these bright lights on the stage will expose that I have one too. She went on to say, and I'm on the Jumbotron, and everyone can see it. It's a part of the fall, right, ladies? It's pretty amazing what we can focus on as human beings. It's pretty amazing how we can obsess about things. It's pretty amazing... What we can get distracted by in this world. From the child who thinks he has to have a new toy or a new gaming system in order to be fulfilled. To the person who nurses a wound and just can't seem to forgive the person who hurt them. It's easy to get spellbound by stuff. It's easy to get spellbound by people, spellbound by hurts, spellbound by just about anything in this world. We all do this. And that's why one of the reasons why Jesus came to save us. That's why we must always keep our eyes on him. The Christian life, the gospel really is that simple. Just keep your eyes on him. Jesus. Therefore, in order to grow in grace, in order to grow in holiness, in order to grow as a Christian and be changed and transformed, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what Paul is telling the Galatian churches in the book of Galatians. He's talking about justification still in this chapter, as he was last week. We saw in chapter 2, Paul is still talking about how human beings have a tendency to try and do things in order to get God's favor. And it is focusing, it is when we focus and by focusing on our doing, what we do for God, that we get distracted and we get our eyes off of Jesus. And that's why we must be spellbound by Jesus. The focus of the Christian life is Jesus, not the Christian. When you focus on you and what you do for God or what you don't do for God, then you'll get out of step with the gospel, which is what we saw last week in chapter 2 with Peter when Paul confronted him. Christian life is all about focusing on Jesus, being mesmerized by him, being obsessed with the perfect life that he lived in order to justify you and make you right with God, by being obsessed with the death that he died, by taking the curse of the law upon himself for you in order to satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. The Galatian churches had forgotten about this. They had taken their eyes off of Jesus, and they were being spellbound by a false gospel of works, which was being peddled by a group called the Judaizers, a group of Jewish people who were trying to tell the Galatian churches that they had to come back under the Mosaic law in order to be made right with God. Now, look at verses 1 through 6, and Paul will speak to the Galatians again. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Paul now switches gears He begins talking directly once again to the Galatians. He's been talking to them, obviously, all along because he's writing this letter. But we saw last week that chapter 2, verses 14 to 21 was this conversation that Paul was having with the apostle Peter when he confronted him. Even though our English Bible's in the quotes after verse 14, Paul's talking to Peter all the way from verses 14 to 21. Now, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul begins talking directly to the Galatians again. And he's a little bit worked up here. He's got to come down. He's got to be the heavy here and challenge them. Paul is flabbergasted that the Galatian churches would be duped by the Judaizers. He's flabbergasted that they have been bewitched by a false gospel. The Greek word that he uses for bewitched means to give someone the evil eye, to cast a spell over them, to fascinate in the original sense of holding someone spellbound by an irresistible power. What Paul is saying is that it's as if a magician or a sorcerer came into the Galatian churches and cast a spell over them. They have been spellbound, By a gospel of fall of a false gospel of works, a gospel of works righteousness. And what does Paul say is the cure? It's the gospel. How do they break the spell that they're under? It's the gospel. The very message that got the Galatians into the kingdom of God is the very message that gives them life. In the kingdom of God. And that's why Paul says that it was before their eyes that Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed or displayed as crucified. It was the public preaching of the gospel by Paul that at one time had the Galatians spellbound. At one time they were spellbound by the good news of Jesus Christ. The phrase that Paul uses here, publicly portrayed, originally meant a public public placard. We would say uh, a billboard. Paul is saying that Jesus' life and death were put on a billboard for all to see when he preached the gospel to them. When he preached the gospel to them, he said, it was as if Jesus' death was put on a billboard for all of you to see. And isn't that what the cross is after all? Is not the cross just a giant billboard telling us that we are all seriously messed up? Listen, we have been exposed at the cross, all of us. We are sinners. We are rebels. We are law breakers we are liars we are gossips we are slanderers we are complainers and yet we try to hide the fact that we are sinful we all walk around like we have it all together don't we you do you know you do why do we do this The cross is a billboard just screaming out to us and to the whole world that we are messed up and yet we try to hide that truth and walk around with masks on as if we have it all together. Hear me out, Grace. I do not have it all together. Let me repeat. As your pastor, I do not have it all together. There are days when I just want to quit life. Days When the pressure is too much, and I simply pray to Jesus and say, "Um, Jesus, if you want to come back today, I would be okay with that. I am a mess. Ask my family. You have permission to ask any of my kids and ask my wife. I messed up. Genesis 3 is coursing through my veins. Sin has jacked me up. But Jesus is greater than my sin. I am free to admit my failures and my weaknesses and my sins because the cross has already exposed me for who I am. There's no need for me to hide that from many of you. There's no need for you to hide that from anybody because we look at the cross and we know you're messed up. It's why Jesus came. There's no need to hide. This is the raw material that God uses to extend his kingdom in this world. The raw material that God uses is messed up people and messed up families and messed up churches. This is what God uses. He says, come, I know you're messed up. You're exactly what I will use to extend my kingdom in this world. See, Jesus exposed all of us as needy sinners at the cross. He died because we are lawbreakers. And this is the kind of preaching that Paul valued. That's why he publicly portrayed. Jesus Christ is crucified because when Jesus Christ is publicly portrayed as crucified in preaching, it exposes every human being as a sinner. It's the kind of preaching that Paul preached, he valued, and it's the kind of preaching that we need in the world today. Sadly, much of our preaching is a watered-down gospel, probably not even a gospel, a very man-centered gospel, which is why Kim Riddlebarger pastor in Southern California, he says this, much of this contemporary preaching is often current event or market driven, with the preacher doing everything in his power to show how relevant Christianity is in every area of life. Christianity never becomes more irrelevant when we do this, and every pagan knows it. Hence, the reason why Christians are the butt of jokes for every sitcom and stand-up comedian. It is one thing if they hate the gospel. It is another when they lampoon us for our foibles. Indeed, this shift from Christ crucified to Christ the manager, Christ the moral example, Christ the caring nurturer, Christ the motivator, Christ the healer, in effect, turns Christ into a new Moses who simply gives easier laws and principles to keep, which we now call the gospel. When this happens, the effects are devastating to Christ's church, for both the law and the gospel are lost, and this becomes the breeding ground for self-righteousness and moralism. Not preaching Christ crucified destroys both the law which was given in part to condemn us and show us our sin and desperate need of Jesus Christ, as well as the gospel, since the gospel becomes doing what Jesus would do, living as Jesus would want me to live, Jesus helping me be a better person, all which deny the very essence of the gospel which is that the Son of God gave himself for me upon the cross, dying under God's curse for all those times when I did, didn't do as Jesus would have me do. Preaching Christ, publicly placarded Christ, not using Jesus as an excuse to talk about ourselves. If our Christianity is reduced to doing what Jesus would do, instead of believing what God would have us believe, the modern Judaizers have taken us in, we have come under the spell of the evil eye, and we have reduced the law to trivialities and turned the gospel into law. Christianity is only relevant to our true needs when it is centered in the public placarding of Christ. And it was that message of Christ crucified, for lawbreakers that the Galatians received wholeheartedly when they heard and believed the gospel. That's how they started out. They believed and embraced the gospel, but then something happened. The Judaizers cast a spell on them and they started thinking they had to come back under the Mosaic law in order to be made right with God. And that's why Paul interrogates them in verses 2 through 5. Look there again. Let me ask you only this. How did the Galatians receive the Holy Spirit? Was it by doing the works of the law or was it by hearing with faith? Obviously, the answer is by faith in the gospel. They started with the Spirit when they believed. And Paul's saying, now you want to be perfected, be matured by the flesh. And when he mentions the flesh here, he's talking about circumcision. He's saying, are you wanting to come back under the law and have the men and little boys be circumcised so that now you can be mature or complete? Was it all in vain? Did they experience so much in vain? Verse 4 says, did you suffer so many things? Uh, the Greek word here for suffer could be translated as suffer or experience. The ESV translates it as suffer, but I think it should be translated as experience. You can see that in the footnote of your Bibles. It'll probably say, or it could be experience experience. In the context, I don't think Paul's talking about how much they suffered, how much persecution they suffered for the gospel. I think he's talking about how much they experienced, how much of the gospel they experienced, how much of the Holy Spirit they experienced when they believed. They experienced so many miracles among them. God was working among them. They had so much joy at one time, so much gladness when they heard and believed the gospel, but now their joy was being killed. because they were trying to come back under the Mosaic law. And that's exactly why in Galatians 4.15, Paul will say, what happened to your joy? What happened to all that joy that you experienced when you believed the message of Christ crucified? All of the joy that accompanies the gospel was experienced when they believed with faith Experience that not because they were working hard to obey the law, and that's why Paul is pointing them back to Jesus Christ crucified. He is redirecting them to the gospel. He wants to break the spell that they are under, and the way that he does that is by pointing them once again to Jesus. All that Paul is saying here is be spellbound by Jesus. Why? Because the gospel is the answer to every problem that we have. Some of us are like the Galatians. I'm like the Galatians. I think that I can secure or keep God's favor by my behavior. And some of you are that way. And I woke up this morning thinking i got to grovel and wallow in repentance for two hours before I can ever come into his presence. I'm a Galatian at heart. I get on the performance treadmill every day. I think it's about my behavior, what I do and I don't do for God, that that makes me right with Him. It's not. Some of us are like the Galatians. We think that God is impressed with our obedience. Listen, God is not impressed with your obedience, He's impressed with His Son. His Son was sinless. He lived a perfect life. He's impressed with his son. And yet some of us think that God's impressed with our obedience. Or we think that God loves us more because we're faithful with the spiritual disciplines. God loves me more because I pray more. God loves me more because I care about the nations more than anyone else at this church. Nobody cares about the nations and missions but me. God must love me. No. He's impressed with his son. All of that is just a form of works righteousness. That I do things to get him to like me and to love me. That's what the Galatians were believing. Christian, you are accepted by God because of Jesus and not you. But it isn't just with justification, being made right with God, that we lose sight of Jesus. We can get spellbound by anything. But the answer is always the gospel. We can get spellbound by someone in the church who hurts us, a family member that betrays us, a coworker, a boss. Our tendency as fallen human beings is to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto other people and other things. And the gospel is always the answer. Listen, if you've been hurt by someone here at Grace and you are obsessing over it and it has you spellbound, what you desperately need to do right now is turn your eyes to Jesus. That's how you break the spell that you are under. We're sinners here at Grace. We are going to drop the ball. We are going to hurt you. We're going to screw up because we're sinners here. You have to know that about Grace. It's a fact. We have been exposed by the billboard of the cross. And you're surprised that we hurt you and let you down? We're a bunch of sinners. If you think we're perfect or if you're looking for a perfect church, good luck. We will mess up. You will get your feelings hurt. I do all the time. People let me down all the time, and I sulk, and I feel sorry for myself, and I get angry, and I harbor bitterness, bitterness, and in those moments, what I need more than anything is to get my eyes off of myself and turn them to Jesus Christ. That's why I always talk about rehearsing the gospel, because I'm messed up. This is my life. It's all I have is Jesus. It's, I got nothing else. But I have everything because I have him. But that's why I'm always talking about rehearsing the gospel. Rehearsing the gospel will break the spells that you and I are under, whatever they may be. Looking to Jesus is our only hope. Believing the gospel is the only way to break the spell that you are under. That's what the Galatian church is needed, and that's what this church needs. Paul continues, though, look at verses 6 through 9. He says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul is quoting Genesis 15 here when Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, appeared to Abram. His name got changed later to Abraham. But in Genesis 15, the Lord appeared to Abraham and told him that he would be the father of many nations. Now remember, Abraham's wife Sarah was barren. They had no hope of having kids whatsoever. They were both old. There was no hope. And the Lord showed up and said, your family will be like the stars in the heavens. And Abraham, knowing that he was old and knowing that his wife was barren and could never have kids, believed God's promise to him. Abraham, not looking at what he could see, believed God's promise. He was spellbound by this gospel promise. And when Abraham believed God's promise to him, he was counted or credited with righteousness. This is a a legal term, as if somebody puts something into your account. It's like if you have a Starbucks card, you, I think it's what, 12 times you have to purchase something, you collect 12 stars, and then finally you get the free drink on the 13th one. Okay, you're earning that, okay? But if you just open up your card one day and check the balance on your phone or on the internet, and you saw that suddenly you had $100 on your card because somebody gave it to you. You didn't earn that. That was credited to you. That was given to you. That's the idea here with credited. It's not something you earn. It's something that's given. And God was telling Abraham and telling us and anyone who would come after him who would, who would believe, who would be a son of Abraham... God was saying, because you believe me and trust my promise, my gospel promise, I will treat you as righteous and as having no condemnation. Even though you are actually unrighteous, because you are a sinner, I will treat you as if you are righteous. That's the gospel. And that's why Paul says that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. The gospel came to Abraham who was not a Jew. He was a Gentile, a Chaldean, and even Abraham was credited with righteousness. He was justified and he wasn't circumcised. What were the Judaizers saying? The Galatians had to be circumcised in order to be justified. But even Abraham wasn't required to be circumcised in order to be justified. He was justified while he was an uncircumcised Chaldean. And God told Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed in him. That means that the Galatians, who are Gentiles, they're non jew That just like Abraham, they could experience the blessing of Abraham when they believed the gospel promise, just like Abraham believed. Those who are of faith and trust in the gospel are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul continues, look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather... The law is, the one who does them shall live by them. If any human being tries to be justified by keeping the law, they're under a curse because no one can keep the law. They're under a curse because of Adam's sin. You're born cursed into this world. But if you try to keep the law, you'll just prove that you're cursed because you can't keep the law. You can't obey it perfectly. So Paul quotes several passages from the Old Testament to make his point here. He says this, The law says, Do this and live. Obey completely, and live. And if you don't fully obey, then you're under a curse. And that's why it's evident that no one is justified by keeping the law, because no one can keep it perfectly. The righteous live by faith, just like Abraham. But Paul says the law is not of faith. The law says do, and the gospel says done. The Law says, "Do this and live, and nobody can do it. But the gospel says, "It is finished." And when did Jesus utter the words, "It is finished?" on the cross when he took? the curse of the law for us. And that's why Paul is all about publicly preaching Christ crucified because it is on the cross where Jesus took the curse that was on us and said, I will put it upon myself. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The curse of the law that hung over our heads because we are, by nature, lawbreakers, has been removed. Why? Because Jesus became a curse for us. When Jesus died for us, the curse was removed so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that the Galatians had received when they trusted in the gospel promise. Galatians 2, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. When Paul says that he's talking about the Holy Spirit living inside of him that's why Paul immediately begins talking about the Spirit in chapter 3. Christ living in me is the Holy Spirit living in me because in chapter 4 Paul will say you receive the Spirit of the Son the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption. And when the Galatians believe the promised Holy, uh, the, the, the gospel promise the promised Holy Spirit came to live inside of every one of them but they came back under the spell of the Judaizers and were trying to earn their way back to God even though they already had him They had the promised Holy Spirit, and they had experienced his presence and joy, and yet they were mesmerized by this false gospel of doing things to earn your way to God. What they needed to do was to rehearse the gospel. They needed to be spellbound by Jesus. They needed to focus on Christ crucified. They needed to remember that the whole reason Jesus came to rescue them was because they were lawbreakers who were under the curse of the law. Christianity is all about Jesus. It is not about Christians and what they do and don't do for him. It's not about the Christian life at all. It's all about Jesus and the Galatians were making it about them and what they did for Jesus how easy it is for us to get distracted from the cross. How much preaching today is geared towards the believer and not towards Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ as the redeemer that the Old Testament promised. How much preaching exalts Jesus Christ crucified for sinners just like us. We must continually look to Jesus. Because the gospel is the answer to every problem that we have. Let me close with a lengthy quote by Pastor Tim Keller. I have to be honest, this is so good that I thought about massaging it and putting it into my own words so that you would think that I came up with this and then you would think I was awesome. I can be honest and admit that. thought about plagiarizing it and trying to, put a spell over you and thinking I came up with these great words, but I can admit that. I'm a sinner. The cross has already exposed me. I've got nothing to hide. But I think it's better to just read it, and maybe it will help you as it has helped me. Commenting on Galatians 3, Tim Keller says this, Our failure to obey and conform to Christ's character is not a matter of simple lack of willpower, and so we cannot treat our failures simply by trying harder. We need instead to realize that the root of all of our disobedience is particular ways in which we continue to seek control of our lives through systems of works righteousness. The way to progress as a Christian is to continually repent and uproot these systems in the same way that we became Christians, by the vivid depiction and re-depiction of Christ's saving work for us and the abandoning of self-trusting efforts to complete ourselves. We must go back again and again to the gospel of Christ crucified so that our hearts are more deeply gripped by the reality of what he did and who we are in him. So, we should not simply say, Lord, I have a problem with anger. Please remove it by your power. Rather, we should apply the gospel to ourselves at that point. Uncontrolled bitterness is a result of not living in line with the gospel. It means that though we began with Jesus as Savior, something has now become our functional Savior in place of Jesus. Instead of believing that Christ is our hope and goodness, we are looking to something else as a hope, to some other way to make us feel good incomplete. Instead of just hoping God will remove our anger or simply exercising willpower against it, we should ask, if I am being angry and unforgiving, what is it that I think I need so much? What is being withheld that I think that I must have if I am to feel complete, to have hope, and to be a person of worth? Usually, deep anger is because of something like that. It might be that we want comfort above all other things, and someone has made our lives harder, so we grow angry with them. It might be that we're worshiping other people's approval, and so get angry with anyone who in some way thwarts our bid for popularity and respect. Comfort, approval, and control. These are functional saviors. When they are blocked, we get bitter. The answer is not simply trying harder to directly control anger. It is repenting for the self-righteousness and the lack of rejoicing in the finished work of Christ, which is at the root of the anger. As we make our hearts look at Christ crucified, the Spirit will work in us to replace that functional Savior with the Savior, and the root of our anger will wither. In short, he's saying, be spellbound by Jesus. Here's what we do. We want something in life, whatever it is, and if we don't get it, we usually get angry. I want peace and quiet in my home, and I have five kids. (laughs) What I need to do is repent of my self-righteousness and look to Jesus. And say, Jesus, in this moment, I'm wanting peace and quiet more than I'm wanting you. Are you hanging on to bitterness, anger, frustration, unforgiveness, worry, doubt, fear, lust? You fill in the blanks. What is that thing that is a functional savior in your life that you think, if I just had this, then I would be happy? The problem is is not just asking God to remove it. The problem is your heart is sinful and you've set up this functional savior that you're worshiping. And you're saying, if I can have you, then I'll be happy. What we need to do, all of us, is to repent of that self-righteousness and say, I'm delighting in this thing more than I'm delighting in you. And when you do that, And you repent of that self-righteousness. Whatever it is that you want will wither. And Jesus will become more beautiful to you. Be spellbound by Jesus. That's exactly what we will do as we prepare to eat and celebrate his grace to us in the Lord's Supper. Let's take a moment and prepare our hearts now to repent of our self-righteousness. Father, we all here have trusted in our own works to make us right with you. We're all self-righteous in different areas of our lives because we think we're better than other people. We can all probably think of someone right now that we think we're better than. We're all self-righteous, God, because we think what we do earns us favor with you and keeps us in good standing with you. And we know it's only because of your son. Father, we repent now of all these systems of self-righteousness. We repent, ask you to forgive us for doubting your love, for thinking the things that we don't do keep us away from you. Forgive us for thinking that the things that we do keep us away from you and keep you away from us. God, you have brought us near because of Jesus Christ crucified. You've adopted us and brought us into your family. Forgive us for doubting your great love for us. And now, but the law has done its work of exposing us. Would your gospel come through the power of the Spirit as we eat and drink and celebrate the Lord's Supper? Give us grace, give us strength for the journey as we eat and drink and as we once again are spellbound by Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.